Shabbat Shalom, and thank you for joining us today in our service and in this message that we're live streaming. Uh, I hope that it blesses you and just moves in you in a way that just produces a lot of fruit and blessing for you, your life, and for those around you. I've entitled this The Jesus Prayer, uh, often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, of course, uh, a fundamental way of praying that he gave us and taught us so that we could really be effective in being his representatives in a world that's filled with such sorrow and brokenness. So we're going to look into this model of prayer that Jesus has given us. And I'm going to start by just saying that effectual prayer is the most powerful force for change in our world. Learning how to pray effectively is the key to overcoming this world and every evil thing in it. If we want to be the representatives of Jesus, bringing healing and restoration to all of those around us, we will need to learn the art and the power of prayer. Jesus gave us a blueprint, if you will, in the Lord's Prayer. This is a blueprint, a model for how to pray effectively. It is the very thing, I believe, that will move the mountains of lies and hurts and misery, even death, in a world that's broken and dark and in deep despair. It'll give hope to the hopeless and peace to those who are in torment. So let's learn this ancient art that Jesus gave us, this model of prayer that he introduced to us, that we might move the mountains all around us and bring healing and peace to those we love and to the world that we live in. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to go ahead and just read it through. It's a very short prayer. If you think about it, uh, the brevity is a little bit, um, well, I think it, 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 you know, when you think of a prayer that's powerful and it's going to be effectual, you would think it would be longer, of course. But keep in mind that this is a template for prayer. It's not, it's not a prayer in and of itself, but really a model for how to pray. And so let's read this first through, and then we're going to unpack it and look more deeply into it. The disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, they said, would you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples how to pray? They understood the discipline of prayer. They wanted to know from the Messiah, you know, what do you say about this? What is your model for praying? Were your followers teach us how to pray, Lord? We want to be effective in our prayer lives. And so he responded, Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's it. It is succinct and yet um, very deep in so many different ways. Let's unpack it. I'm going to start with verse 9. Jesus says to them, pray then in this way. 
pray then in this way. Think about that for a moment. There is a way to pray. There is a certain structure, if you will, in praying. It's an effective way. This, this model that's given gives us a tool that's highly effective in terms of how we pray. It brings success in relationship to our prayers. In contrast to perhaps ways that are ineffective, in ways that would not produce, in ways that would be vain, if you will. So many different ways to pray. So many different approaches. This is the approach that the Messiah has given us. It's his way of praying. This is an effectual, powerful way to pray. It also uh, speaks of the idea of prayer being an art, if you will. Uh, this is a discipline that Jesus is giving to us. And it's in this discipline that we cultivate and foster that becomes a way of praying, a paradigm of praying. And the more that we practice it, the better that we get. In verse number 9, the next part of verse 9 gives us an intro and an orientation to our prayer life. Jesus says, pray then in this way. Verse 9, our Father who is in heaven. Our prayers are to be directed to God and specifically God as Father. Think about that for a moment. Our Father who is in heaven. Our orientation is that when we pray, we pray to God as our Father. This is important for us. We do not come and approach the throne room and God as a Lord or a King or a Savior or Deliverer. We don't come to him as a judge or a deliverer. Jesus says when you pray, you approach the eternal one as father. Not, not as mother even, but as father. And we know that uh, when we look at the Godhead and the nature of God, there is both masculine and feminine attributes associated with the eternal one. And, and yet when we approach him in the context of prayer, Jesus says to approach him as father. And what does father speak of? What does this idea of father biblically speak of? It speaks of the one who is the originator, the creator of all things seen and unseen. He is a provider, he's a protector, and he's a governor. That's what this idea of father communicates. So when we come to him, we come to him acknowledging that he is the creator of all things seen and unseen. He can do it all. If he created all things seen and unseen, is there anything impossible for him? We come to him as the one that originated life itself and sustains that life. We come to him as the one that provides for us, the one who cares for us, the one who protects us. We come to him as the one that governs the entire universe, both the seen and the unseen realms. 
Now, our prayers are not only to be directed to God as Father, but if you'll note, we're to come to God as our Father, our Father. It says, our Father who is in heaven. This is very insightful in that it engages us in a communal sense that we don't pray as individuals preoccupied with our own specific needs as if that's all that matters. We come in the sense of a community. He says, come and pray our Father. We are one in Him. We are one as a family, united in Him. No one is alone. No one's left behind. In Him, He has all of our hearts, all of our needs, as a community, as a world. In view. So we come to him as our father because we're connected via his fatherhood. Because he's a father and we're his children, we're connected. This engages the human heart in a way that inspires hope. When we pray and we use the language our father, it helps us to understand that together we are united. That we're not alone in our struggles. We're not alone in our prayers. That as I pray, as you pray, as we all pray, we realize we are one and that he cares for us. He's a father that watches over us, providing and caring for us. This is why I believe Jesus said to start with our father. That when you alone in your prayer closet are praying, you still say our father, not my father, because you're not alone. You say our father, realizing that not only are you praying, but many other people also are praying for you. Grandmothers, grandfathers, fathers, mothers, aunts and uncles, cousins, people praying for you. Do you realize how many people are engaged in prayer for you? How many people do you pray for? You pray for, you pray for all kinds of people in your life. See, this idea that God is our Father, that we're united, tells us that we are not alone, that together in our struggle we shall overcome. Because our Father in heaven watches over his children. So we pray our Father who art in heaven, orienting us to the God who's the creator of all things and is our Father who keeps us together under his wings. Our Father resides in the realm of heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, he resides in a different realm than us. We're in the natural realm. He's in the spiritual realm. We call that realm heaven. Heaven is the place of love. It's the place of beauty. It's the place of abundance. It's the place of wealth and power where authority resides. It's above all and over all. It's in heaven that all wisdom, knowledge, and understanding flows like a mighty river. There's no lack in heaven. There's no, there's no uh, uh, deficiency or illness in heaven. This is the place where we all long to be. We all desire to be in the dominion of our Father who resides in heaven. This is a good place to orient ourselves. Our Father who art in heaven. We, we pray and we struggle here on this earth with so many different things, so many different challenges, so many different disappointments right i mean it gets such uh it gets to be such a heavy place uh in in our pilgrimage 
on this earth. But when we understand that we direct our hearts and our minds towards heaven, it lifts us up. It brings us up above this realm that we live in. It gives us hope as we think of heaven and all the resources that are available to us. And that there's one in heaven who transcends all people, all things, and he's our father. And that when we pray to him, he hears our prayers. That's what gives us hope. That's what gives us faith. The courage to overcome everything that we're facing. And we do that by lifting that up to Father into the heavenly realm to ask him for what we need to see us through the struggle in our realm. So in summary, so far, uh, we learned that we start our prayers by orienting and directing our minds and our hearts to God as Father, the originator of all things, the creator of all things seen and unseen, our provider, our protector, our governor. He's our Father. This is not a personal issue. It's a corporate issue. Prayer is not a personal thing. It's a communal thing. We're all in this together. Every, pray I, every prayer I pray, it affects so many people. It affects the world I live in. Your prayers do the same thing. Everything you pray for is going to have an effect, both in your life and in the lives of those around you, and probably even greater than that. This is important for us to understand. Prayer transcends the individual. It's about the world we live in. It's about the community that we're a part of. It affects everything and everyone. That's why we direct our prayers to the one who's in heaven, to the realm where our Father lives, so that everything that we ask for is bathed in the presence and wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the one who cares about the creation which he has made. All right, the next part of this prayer is uh, about God's name. And uh, his name is holy, of course. Matthew 6, 9, Jesus goes on to instruct them to pray like this. Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Why? Because the name of God is sacred. His name is holy. When you think about it, God's name is holy. And why is it holy? Because in the Hebrew um, context, names reveal character. Names reveal the character and the virtues of the one who holds the name. And so the name of God is vitally important. God's name is holy. It's set apart for his people. And it's very important because it communicates to us who he is, his virtues. It gives us a chance to really understand him and relate to him. So his name is intriguing in every sense. The fact that his name reveals his character tells us he wants us to understand him and relate to him. So let's look at this name that's holy. I want to break it down a little bit so we understand who we're praying to. Listen to this. This is Exodus 34. Moses has asked the Lord to reveal himself to him. He wants to see the Lord. He wants to get a revelation of the Lord. So this is Exodus 34. I'm going to jump into verse 5, uh, and we're going to read down, I think, through verse 7. 
It says, the Lord descended in the cloud. Now, the word Lord here is in all caps in my translation because it's in reference to the Tetragrammaton. And that is the uh, four, uh, um, the yud heh vav uh, four letters of God's name, which is most commonly translated as Yahweh, the name of God. So I'm just going to read it as it's found in the sacred text so that we catch this because his name isn't Lord, it's Yahweh. That's his name. And, uh, and, and, and most importantly, it's not about pronunciation. It, it's rather about revelation. The name is revealing something. It's revealing his character, his virtues. And so let's see what he reveals in his name. It says, Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood there with him, Moses, as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then Yahweh passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. God says, Moses, you want a revelation of my name? Do you want me to reveal to you who I am? Well, this is who I am. And I think this is powerful. He says his own name twice qualifies that as God, right? And then he reveals who he is. He is a God who is compassionate. Yahweh, I am that I am, the eternally existent one. He says, I am full of compassion and grace. First thing you need to understand, Moses, is I'm all about grace. I'm all about compassion. Who, who doesn't want a God who's full of loving kindness? Who doesn't want a God who is abounding in mercy? God's saying, that's who I am. You know, the psalmist said, if, if the nations knew your name, they would put their trust in you. Basically, what the psalmist is saying is, God, if people understood who you really were, they'd rush into your arms. Yeah, why? Because God, first and foremost, is a God of love, of compassion, of grace, unmerited favor, being loved by him just because he loves you. It's because of who you are, not what you do or don't do, right? A God of compassion and grace. Slow to anger, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Think about that, right? I don't know about you. I've got plenty of sins in my life. I've lived long enough to, to, to have sinned quite a bit. And I cannot tell you how grateful I am for a God who's compassionate, for a God who is merciful, full of grace, for a God who has forgiven me over and over and over. Who wouldn't want a God like Yahweh, one who is eternally full of love and compassion, kindness and mercy, slow to anger and quick to forgive. This is who our Father is in heaven. This is why we pray to Him, our Father who is in heaven. We can come to Him with great confidence 
because he loves us with an eternal love. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. Holy is his name. He goes on to say in verse 10, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom. Our Father has a kingdom. Our Father is a king. He's not just a father, he's a king. He rules and reigns over his people. He has dominion, power, glory, authority. And he's compassionate and full of mercy. And this compassionate rule and reign of God is coming to the earth. Jesus says, pray that his kingdom comes. Pray that his kingdom invades our broken, cruel, dark world. Yes, he has a a realm. And that realm from heaven is invading the earth. Jesus said, pray that this realm, this dominion, this rule and reign comes into our world. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's a key component to our prayers. We don't pray our will. We pray his will. It's okay to ask for things that you need, but you have to couch everything that you ask for with your will be done. Everything that you ask for at the end, you should say, nevertheless, your will be done. Does he take into consideration our will? Absolutely. Can we move the heart of God? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, whatever he gives us is going to be in alignment with his will. So we need to line up, if we want to be effective in our prayers, we need to line up with his will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We got to learn to pray God's will. Pray his promises. Pray his principles and truths. I don't pray my problems. That's not an effective way to pray. You know, prayer is not code for murmuring and complaining. You can't couch that in prayer. It's not prayer. It's murmuring and complaining. That will not move the heart of God. Faith moves the the heart of God. Trust moves the heart of God. Love moves the heart of God. So we have to come to God and we have to understand that we need to line up with his will, his promises, his principles, his truths. And how do we do that? We got to spend time in his word. If we want to know his will, we got to spend time in his word. That's where we get to know him. That's where he speaks to us through his word. That's where he's revealed himself through his word. If you want to hear the voice of the father, you got to know the word of the Lord and then you'll hear his voice. So it's very important that we speak and proclaim and declare his word, that we use his word to shape our prayers that we embrace his will and allow it to shape our will. Then when we pray, we pray effective prayers. This is so important for us to understand. We need to be in his word. This is where we gain the knowledge and understanding of his will. Praying in alignment with his will is and will always be an effective way to pray. It goes on to say, on earth as it is in heaven. Let me, let me put verse 10 together. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love that. On earth as it is in heaven. That's very, very important. Why? That's where I live. We live on earth. We don't live in heaven. 
We, we, we're on the earth. I'm praying all the time. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I'm praying for the harvest, I pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done in the harvest as it is in heaven, in my family as it is in heaven, in this person's life as it is in heaven. I'm always praying heaven into our realm. I'm asking heaven to invade our world. Our world needs heaven. Our world needs healing. Our world needs deliverance. This is why we pray for, from an orientation of heaven into our realm. This is where we get effective in our prayer life. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said the gates of hell should not prevail. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His kingdom is the kingdom that's going to overcome all kingdoms. And the gates of hell cannot stop it. See, heaven's coming to earth. Healing's coming to earth. Restoration is coming to the earth. Redemption is coming to the earth. And the devil can't stop it. This world can't stop it. We're on the offense. We're moving with Jesus. We're advancing his kingdom. Prayer is one of the ways that we advance his kingdom. And the gates of hell, all the power of the enemy, will not stop us. This is our mission, our mandate. And one of the ways that we advance it is through prayer. Verse 11, shifts gears a little bit. Very important part of our prayers. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, in America at least, um, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Because most of us have enough bread, if you were to think of food, bread being a, a figure of speech for food, we, we have enough in our homes, most, the average American, for, you know, 30 days or more. It's not like I have to pray for food daily when I have a month or two or six months supply of food. Now, in some parts of the world, this is a very meaningful prayer because they don't have food daily. They pray daily for food. There's some very impoverished areas of our world that are desperate and starving. And so this part of the prayer is very acute uh, for those that are in those places. Very important. Father, don't forget today, I'm hungry. Provide for me daily bread. I also want to say that this prayer, even though it engages the natural realm, it's also about the heavenly realm. And that bread is also a metaphor for spiritual revelation. Remember what he said to his people when they were gathering the manna all the time? He said, uh, man shall not live by bread alone. He was saying that just natural bread alone is not going to sustain you forever. You need spiritual bread too. You need natural bread and you need spiritual bread. You need natural bread for your natural bodies, but you also need spiritual bread for your spiritual bodies. And so this idea that we need spiritual bread is very important. So when I pray this, being in the context that I'm in, uh, when I pray this, I always pray, give me some revelation today. O open up your word and give me something new that I've never seen before. And so when I'm praying this prayer, I always find that as I study the word, I'm always getting new things. 
And I believe that I get new things because I ask for new things. See, see, if, if your study of God's word, the time that you spend in God's word, if it's somewhat mundane or boring, let me tell you something. You need to pray for some daily bread and it'll open up to you in ways that you have not seen it before. And you'll get stuff from the word of God that you have yet to have seen. I pray, God, give me daily revelation. And I always rejoice in it because I always anticipate something that always comes and is always like, wow, that is amazing. So I, I just love that. It keeps my time in the word supercharged and exciting. So we need both natural and spiritual bread. Then he says in verse 12, shifts gears again. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I find this incredibly interesting. Forgive us our debts, not our sins, our debts. Forgive us our debts. Why debt? Why does he use the word debt? I think this is intriguing. When you think of sin, associated with that is a debt. The wages of sin is death. It's the debt that we all owe. So as sinners, we owe this debt of death. And uh, we got to pay it. And the law of God is just and requires that. And God is a just and righteous judge. And so you're going to have to pay the debt. Now, he loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. To make an atonement through his own death as a payment for the debt we owe. That's the love of God. That in Jesus Christ, as I embrace him as my Lord and Savior, my debt is forgiven. It's paid on my behalf through the death of his son. So my debt of sin is paid for. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I like to think of it this way. To the extent and manner that we forgive those who sin against us, forgive us. I really think that God wants to engage our hearts in this area. I think that God's saying, hey, be like me. Be like your Father in heaven, full of grace, quick to forgive. God wants us to forgive each other quickly, fully, with mercy and compassion. Forgive one another because I've forgiven you. In fact, what's implied in the prayer is God's going to forgive us in the same way to the extent that we forgive others. I know, I know that can be somewhat upsetting for uh, some of us, but there are a number of places in the Gospels and the epistles that, that reinforce that idea. In fact, I, I, I think there's a few that actually say, if you don't forgive those who sin against you, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. So this issue of forgiving others is very important. I've sinned against God so many times. He's forgiven me all of the debt that I owe. Should I not also forgive those who sin against me? Far less do they sin against me than I've sinned against the Father, right? Who am I to withhold forgiveness to anyone who has sinned against me? Our obligation 
Our obligation is to release those who have sinned against us. That doesn't mean they're not accountable. That doesn't mean that they get away with something. No, 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 no. Our job is to forgive and release them. God will hold them accountable. He will hold them accountable. He, he, he will be fair and just and merciful in how he wants to deal with them. And you can trust him with that. Let him do for others what he's done for you and me. So we need to be forgiving. Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I've learned to be forgiving because I want to be forgiven. I've learned to be merciful because I want mercy. I've learned to love because I want to be loved. This, these are important concepts that are tied into this art of prayer, this model of prayer that Jesus has given us. And then finally it says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Probably the most difficult verse in this passage. Do not lead us into, into temptation. Very difficult to try to reconcile that with the father. I mean, think about that. What father would lead his own child into a place of temptation, into a place of darkness, of evil, of sin and shame. Who, what father would do that, right? I mean, what kind of prayer is this? Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil as if God might lead us into temptation or into a place of evil. I mean, how do you reconcile that? I think, I think there's some pretty um, deep mysteries here in the Lord's Prayer. Um, and, and there's much that we can learn, of course. But when I think of this, the only way that I've really been able to reconcile this is the idea that God's heart is to love and to protect and to nurture. Whereas we, in our sin, we get pretty arrogant, pretty rebellious, pretty, uh, pretty uh, courageous in our affront to God, if you will. And I think that God at different times says, son or daughter, you, you, you really want to shake your fist at me. You want to just continue in your rebellion. You want to continue in your sin and shame. Is that really what you want? Because if you want to persist in that, if you want to delve into that, I'll hand you over to it for a season. I'll, I'll lead you into it. Yeah, you, th you think your heart is hard now? I can harden it even more. Think about that. Pharaoh, think of Pharaoh, right? God hardened his heart. Well, if you read the passage carefully, Pharaoh already hardened his heart, I think three or four times prior to God hardening his heart. As if God was saying, you want a hard heart, Pharaoh? Let me give you a hard heart. You think your, heart, your heart's hard now? Let me help that a little bit. And I think what God says with, the, with his own children is, if you don't want to walk in my ways and you want to persist in your sin, I'll let you go ahead and go deeper than ever before. I'll hand you over to it as a form of chastisement so that you'll turn away from it. Yeah, I love this part of the prayer. I pray this almost every day. And I say, God, forgive me 
for my sins. Don't hand me over to them. I'm, I'm turning to you. Lead me not into temptation. I'm no, I'm no match for the evil one. No, rather deliver me from the evil one. I trust you for my holiness. I trust you for my obedience. Give me a steadfast heart, an obedient heart, that I might run into your ways because I love you and I value your ways. So this part of the prayer is significant. I do not take for granted the grace of God and I do not take for granted the schemes of the enemy. I'm no match. So this part of the prayer is very important to me. It should be very important to you as well. It ends with, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So let's put it all together once again, and let's just uh, listen to these words. Let them just kind of uh, resonate in your spirit. Ask the Lord to reveal, you know, the meaning of these words in your heart. And pray that he would minister, minister these words in your heart. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's the Jesus way to pray. That's the Jesus prayer, the Lord's prayer, if you will. It's a model for praying. It's a paradigm for effectual, powerful prayer. This is the very prayer that we should use daily. As we pray this daily, we fill in after every part of every verse what the meaning is that's tied up in these verses. So when I start my prayer every day, I start with the first part. Our Father who is in heaven. I start with praising God, with orientating myself, my mind, my heart. I get it directed on heaven. I'm meditating on heaven. I'm entering into the presence of heaven. I'm calling heaven down to this realm that I'm praying in right now. So I spend that time. I don't jump into supplication. I don't jump into petition. I start with, with orienting my mind and my heart to our Father who is in heaven and that his name is holy, that in his name he's given us a revelation of who he is, a God full of compassion and grace, loving kindness, you know, slow to anger, quick to, to forgive. Uh, this is the God who we serve and I praise his name. I love his name, the revelation of who he is. So my first part of my prayer every day is cultivating an awareness of heaven, the glory of our Father, the virtue of who he is, his kingdom, his characteristics, his, his attributes. That's where I start. And then I shift gears to his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Our kingdoms are all messed up. Our nations are all messed up. Our politicians are all messed up. I'm asking for your kingdom to come, Father. 
I'm asking for your will to be done in every area of our national life, in every area of our church's life, our synagogue's life, every area of, of our military, our, our, our health and welfare. Yet yeah, all these different areas, God, your will be done. Reveal to us what you want in these areas. This is what I'm praying for, that your kingdom and your will be done here on our earth as it is in heaven, on our planet as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Yeah. And this is where I fill in petitions, where I ask for the things that I need, for the things the community needs, where I ask for your needs as well. And this is where we intercede, right? And we list out the things that we need. And then I move to this area of forgiveness. God, forgive me of my sins. Help me to be a better person, a better father, a better brother, a better pastor. Help me be a better neighbor. Lord, I need your help. Thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, is there anyone who has offended me in my heart that I have not forgiven? Is there anyone that I'm trying to hold accountable for something they've done to me? Show me, Lord, and I'll forgive them. I'll forgive them. I want to be full of forgiveness like you are. Teach me to do that, Lord. It's interesting that this, this area of forgiveness is tied into uh, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and, and not only that, so many other things. Um, I, I could go to another passage. I don't have time to do that, but I, I'd love to go to another passage where the whole context of, is how to pray with faith, believing God. Uh, in order to move the mountains. And then all of a sudden, it shifts and it talks about forgiving one another. In fact, I should just, I don't think I have it. Uh, but, but I'm thinking to myself, it's, if you look at it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the flow of the narrative at all. But yet, it's part of the context. It's tied into that. And there's another place, I think in James, where it says, call on the elders if you're sick, right? They're going to anoint you with oil and the prayer of faith shall uh, raise you from your sickness. And then it says, Confess your sins to one another and forgive each other. You know, when you look at this passage, it ties in this whole issue of, of, of confession of sin and forgiveness with prayers for healing. And so I'm, I'm just intrigued by this because I think it's important for us to understand that how we treat one another, our Father, prayer is communal. We're in a community. If we want our prayers to be answered by God, it's incumbent upon us to relate to one another with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that as we do that, as we do that for one another, God is far more apt to answer our prayers because we are being like our Father in heaven and we are sharing that love, that mercy, that forgiveness freely just as he has shared it with us freely. So, in the end, as we pray, we become one as a community. We become one with our Father in heaven. We are united in his will and his purposes. And through this model of prayer that we pray every day, we are strengthened. We are healed. We are united. Our families are filled with hope. Our neighborhoods 
our communities, even our nations can be transformed as we pray this prayer, the Jesus prayer, daily, daily, as an art, as a discipline. This is what will move our mountains. This is what will transform our lives. This is what will transform our nations. So that's it for today. I just want to say Shabbat Shalom and thank you again for joining us. And uh, I want to just leave you with the words of Aaron, the blessing of God. God says, if you'll speak these words over my people, I will engage the blessing. But you got to speak these words first and then I'll engage it. And so I want to speak these words over our community and uh, just receive this by faith and know that as these words are spoken over you, God himself will in fact engage this blessing. Receive the blessing of the Lord. Yahweh spoke to Moses. Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the people of Israel. Say, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh smile on you and gift you. Yahweh look you full in the face and make you prosper. In so doing, they will place my name on the people of Israel. And then I will confirm it by blessing them. Shabbat Shalom.